big studio, we'd never been in there before. And uh, so we were a bit nervous, to tell you the truth. Anyway, uh, we were showing George the song, Love Me Do. And, uh, and so we were singing it, and John used to sing the Love Me Do line. And then he'd play the harmonica, and he'd say, Love Me Do. Um, but George wanted the harmonica to come in on, on the one. So he wanted to go, love me. So John couldn't do the two things at once. So George turns to me and he says, Paul, would you mind singing the love me do now? And I go, uh, I remember I'm nervous anyway. First session I said, oh, I'll be okay. I'll do that. Okay. And so if I hear the record, hear it on the radio or something, even to this day, I can hear the little quiver of nervousness in my voice. I'm Richard Buskin. I'm Eric Taros. I'm Alan Cozen. I'm Craig Bartak. The Beatles. Naked.
When you talk about his diversity, I wrote down all the different Paul voices that he developed over the years. Yes. He does his character voices, he does his rock voices, but Oh Darling is a good one because it's it's a straight rock and then he goes into what I call the screaming Paul, which is the helter-skelter Paul, mm-hmm. when you told me in that section. If we go back to the earliest evidence we have, even if it's not the greatest audio quality, it's the spring of 1960, the McCartney home rehearsal with the Quarrymen. Right. And... We get to hear him doing some early versions of I'll Follow the Sun. Right. Interestingly for me is when he imitates Elvis on That's When Your Heartaches Begin. already the complete deal as a vocalist at that point personally i don't not at all i mean he is still developing he's still in his everly brothers stage and he's still imitating elvis and he's still working on who he is as a singer i mean early on there's really only two paul voices there's the sweet paul which is what we're talking about and then there's the long tall sally paul which is the rock uh paul and then he kind of uh develops from there. I think you still hear his immaturity as late as the DECA audition tape. Now, I guess some people write that off as being yeah. nervous, but I, I, and some say not the best recorded, not, not the best mic choice, but it, he sounds very thin and tentative still, you know, as compared to John's voice, let's say, or, or actually even George's voice at that point. I, I don't really think of Paul in the yeah. DECA tape being the second strongest vocalist necessarily i think it sort of goes john george paul yeah but i don't know that that shows where he was at vocally i think that was just the audition 
you know, John and Paul both sound ner nervous in that audition. So I don't know that we could take that to show us where Paul was at in January 1962. What other evidence do we have? I suppose you could say by March he sounds better on the BBC. I just, there's just that's not much evidence before that tape that I can think of outside of the home rehearsal thing. Yeah, I think he's still pretty limited that early on. Uh, to me, on the home rehearsal, the 1960 home rehearsal, it really just sounds like any bunch of kids practicing with a band. You're not really drawn to his voice in any way. It doesn't call attention to itself in any way the way it does later uh, in, you know, with the Beatles peak where, you know, all of those voices begin to, you know, his, his, his variety of voices begin to take shape. Um, and all of them are strong, you know, the, the, the ballad voice, which I think is more or less what Craig called the sweet voice, uh, and the long, tall Sally voice. And then, uh, you know, but even then he, he, he didn't have some of the strange character voices that he began putting together in his solo career. Still a pretty good voice, though, isn't it, for a 17-year-old? And we know that when he first met John, or supposedly first met John, you know, in, was it July of 1957, he, he knocked it out of the park, not just in terms of what he could do with the guitar, but as a vocalist. I think he also, on that day, he sang Long Tall Sally. But we always hear that it's because he remembered all the words. I, I don't remember any comments that... Uh you know, in other words, his talent as both a guitarist, knowing how to tune one and how to play one properly, and the idea that he could remember all the lyrics seemed to be what John commented on. I never heard him say, oh, well, I heard his voice and I thought this was it. But did you ever hear John say anything about his voice? Yeah, the bar back then was pretty low. Yeah, all the raw talent was there. I mean, his pitch was uh, really, really great. I mean, you'd listen to that and... and, and I mean, even when we dispute things that he could have sang out of tune even just a few years later, um, his pitch is just amazing. And and also, when we're talking early on, that's another one of I consider to be Paul's voices is his ability to match um, John's and sing together, um, which they did in the early years. And, and it's not quite double tracking, but they, they were able to mimic each other and their inflections so well i consider that to be a voice in itself to be able to listen to john and john listen to paul and be able to sing together in unison like that is a really hard thing to do and not be like brothers like the everly brothers or something so you mean things like i'll get you and i want to hold your hand yeah exactly yeah it's true i mean i i always love the juxtapositioning of their voices on any time at all where you've got lennon you know, with that full-out aggressive vocal, and Paul stretching a bit more, singing a bit higher. It's just a different kind of rock voice. You get that same example in A Hard Day's Night. Yes, absolutely. You know, you've got it right there. I mean, Lennon's always singing a bit lower anyway. Paul's stretching a bit more. Anytime at all. Some of the earliest examples that we have of Paul singing are, of course, the Hamburg tapes, New Year's 62, 
and the Please Please Me album. I saw her standing there. Fantastic rock vocal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that shows how far he'd come in a short amount of time. One, two, three, five! you think is his first really great vocal that he lays down long tall sally or anything before that there's different types of great Ooh, my soul from the bbc mm-hmm. was a real standout there's speed and power and authority over something in that song that i that i don't think i heard previously in his bbc work anytime he's doing the little richard stuff he actually did a really great hippie hippie shake i thought that was an impressive vocal as well because it had such uh, i guess the word i'm looking for is depth you know, he's shouting it, but then he kind of goes into a nice growl, you know, and then back, you know, it's not really so much of a, you know, Long Tall Sally, it seems like, you know, it it, it just comes on with full force of the jet engines, and then he can kind of bring it up a little higher, and then he'll come back down to the jet engines again. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with the BBC stuff in order to really judge on that. I mean, I saw her standing there is pretty great, but Long Tall Sally's definitely his first, like, fully recorded, well-recorded, great rock vocal. For goodness sake, I got the hippie hippie shake. Hear me, hear me say 
the end of the Washington DC concert in February 64. Just amazing that, you know, they end with Twist and Shout and Long Tall Sally, two American rock songs delivered by British guys on American soil. And it's it's the one-two punch. Now you're in February of 64. He's mm. he's he's at full power by by 64. I mean, it plays plays 63 really. Yeah. And but it, it's a it's a different type of rock voice to John's, isn't it? That's the thing. It's it hasn't got that gravel in the voice. Well, he hasn't developed it yet. He he had a gravel, but he didn't really. I mean, once again, we get into that thing where Paul just was a great multi-dimensional rock singer and John was more soulful. So John had a way of adding that soulful growl that Paul really never developed early on. I mean, John could do the Motown thing uh, really, really well early on. And Paul, you know, he struggled with it. That's why Love Me Do would have been so much better if, if John would have sang it. How do you think Long Tall Sally would have been if John had sang it? Oh, it would have been great. Yeah, but I don't know whether it was he, he could sing that high. John always lacked confidence, it seemed, when it came to hitting high notes. And um, so that song is, it's up there. It's, it's pretty high, especially uh, the falsetto part. The Little Richard stuff really requires a kind of versatility that the Isley Brothers things didn't quite demand, or at least Twist and Shout didn't. And I don't think John had quite that flexibility that Paul had already developed by then. And, you know, you listen to Long Tall Sally and you listen to Oh My Soul, as, as, as Eric said. I mean, you've got, you've got passages in those songs where you have to more freely, almost instantaneously from your full voice to the falsetto head voice. And Paul right. could do that and back you know, and and not make it sound uh, unnatural or forced or labored or anything like that. You know, Twist and Shout requires that gravelly voice, but it's it's in a, a bit more constricted range, I think. It is. Uh, yes. Don't you think Paul also had a tendency, I'm not just talking hold me tight, by the way, um, early on, sometimes he was a little flat. I hear it in All My Loving. Can you point out a line that you're thinking of? All my loving I will send to you All my loving, darling, I'll be true It sounds slightly under the note to me. Yeah, it's it's sort of one of those blue notes. It's darling, I'll be true. So it's, it is a flatted third. So it is sort of within the range of being soulful. I mean, there, there is a little pitchiness when he double track, when he sings a harmony to himself in the, the last uh, verse, because that's Paul yeah. singing to himself there. Um, so oftentimes, instead of just double tracking, he would just, you know, go off and sing a harmony and it'd, it'd be too single tracked. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you tomorrow. I'll miss you. For the era and the fact that now we're so used to hearing everything so perfectly tuned, I think it's very, very negligible as far as is what else was going on during that era and everything. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're when we talk about like all my loving and being potentially pitchy, we're really splitting hairs, in my opinion, with that. Right. Early on, also, 
we start getting the Paul high harmonies. And I have to say that right through, you know, the Beatles era, his high harmonies were just magnificent. Even like at the end when you hear the isolated vocals for something mm -hmm. and he's coming over the top of George, his work was peerless. You're asking me, will my love grow? I don't know, I don't know. You stick around, now it may show. I always think of uh, Nowhere Man yeah. with his high, you know, in the final line is quite stunning. Yeah, just those little touches, right? Like, as you said, on, on the final line of Nowhere Man, he comes over the top and it just is the icing on the cake. Yeah, and that's in full voice as well. Making all his nowhere plans for nobody Making all his nowhere plans for nobody It's interesting because we talk about falsetto voices and, and John's falsetto voice was I mean, I think one of the reasons is obviously Paul had a much better range and, and more confidence in that high end. But it's interesting because John's falsetto voice would oftentimes um, fail him. I think of um, You Won't See Me in the Ooh La La La. It's like, it, it's like that when he's singing the background, it's almost like his voice, he's running out of air and it's cracking, but not really cracking. It's raspy. And uh, it adds a certain character, but he just couldn't do it as smoothly as, as Paul could. I mean, Paul could hit those falsetto voices and just nail them. You Won't See Me, terrific song. And I think his vocal on there is absolutely superb. It's so smooth. When I call you up get turned away and you won't see me you won't see me time after time you refuse to even listen I wouldn't mind if I knew what I was missing though the day Since I lost you, it feels like years. Yes, it seems so long, girl. Since you've been gone, 
But I just can't go on If you won't see me You won't see me Time after time You refuse to even listen I wouldn't mind If I knew what I was missing Though the days are few They're filled with tears And since I lost you It feels like years Yes, it seems so long Girl, since you've been gone And I just can't go on If you won't see me You won't see me Some of the early rock performances, as we said, I saw her standing there, Long Tall Sally, Kansas City, I'm Down, The Night Before, you know, all full on rock vocals and just fantastic. And a, a sort of counterpoint to Lennon. Also a counterpoint to his abilities, the sweet voice, if you will, the balladeering voice. I always point people to the the live recording from the uh, Royal Variety Show of Till There Was You. Mm -hmm. I don't think the band ever played it to such perfection before or since, but if you listen to Paul's voice in that, it is an amazing example of somebody in full control of his powers, especially because you can tell he's nervous. I mean, right before he sings it, he looks like he's not going to be able to do it, and then all of a sudden he delivers probably the best he ever did of it. So uh, I think that early on, so that's what, November 63, um, he, he had come so far since... January of 62 yeah. in that you know year it's uh, it's quite incredible there were bells on a hill but i never heard them ringing no i never heard them at all till there was you there were birds in the sky but i never
Since we're, we're talking about Paul's versatility as well, uh, it's I think it's always worth pointing out that uh, at that June 14th, 1965 session, he recorded three songs, uh, I've Just Seen a Face, I'm Down, and Yesterday, and they're three completely different voices. And, and it's also, I think, interesting that Yesterday is the last one. You, yeah. you would think that he would have done that first when his voice was not as screamed out as it would be from doing I'm Down, you know? And um, it doesn't sound screamed out on Yesterday, does it? Not at all. No. Yeah. And, you know, he's never, I mean, we, we, we've now heard him sing Yesterday so many times from, uh, you know, I think he kept it out of the repertory mostly until about 75, 76, with the sole exception of uh, the James Paul McCartney television special. Um, but he's never quite got it exactly as, as beautiful it is in that 1965 session. There is just some sort of fluidity. Uh, and, and I don't think that it was because he couldn't do it. I think that it was, it, it's just that that recording is so perfect that, um, you know, trying to match it, if, if he tried to match it, is just sort of impossible. I mean, the, the guitar accompaniment as well. I mean, it, it always sounds a little sort of four square in his subsequent performances of it, whereas it just flowed. It had a very kind of um, organic quality in the 1965 recording. I think the Ed Sullivan show is, uh, is, a, is a pretty close. Uh, the closest I can think of is when they did it. Uh, uh, he did it by himself on the Ed Sullivan show. Right. Yeah. It, I, there were nights there were nights on the 66 tour if if you could just have taken away the the drums and the soft guitar accompaniment that came very close. Uh, but I think by the time I saw him do, you know 76 for example, I saw him do it, which it was a beautiful version, but it was a different it almost felt like a different song at the way he phrased it and breathed his way through it. It was it it was different. Somehow it felt different. I've just seen a face I can't forget the time or place where we just met. She's just a girl for me and I want all the world to see we've met. Mm-hmm. Had it been another day, I might have looked the other way and I'd have never been aware. But as it is, I'll dream of her tonight. Falling, yes, I'm falling. She keeps calling me back again You tell lies thinking I can't see You can't cry cause you're laughing at me I'm down
Such an easy game to play. I need a place to hide away. Oh, I believe in yesterday. seems that his voice could take a lot of wear and tear, right? More than John's. I mean, if we listen to the Beatles' Sam Houston concert, uh, and John's voice is completely shredded. Now, I don't know how he was using his voice leading up to that, but we didn't, in those days, hear Paul being frayed like that. Yeah, but listen to the first Beatles album, Please Please Me, that so many of those recordings, and Lennon had a, uh, a cold, supposedly, and um, yeah. and he's doing Anna, and he's doing all these great things, and then, of course, they end with Twist and Shout. But, you know, one thing, to, one thing that we have to remember is that in this day and age when people take, like, six years to do a record, and, and, and everything's pitch-corrected, and, and people do one vocal a day, and they have that luxury, you know, back in, back in those days, I mean, I almost think of the Beatles as, like, there's there is a sense of vaudeville to them where it's just like the show must go on and and but you know they, it was only a few years before that this recording we're talking about where these three songs were you know they were they were up they were playing at the cavern and and Paul was singing all different types of songs all different ways with a lot of confidence and so it it wasn't a stretch for Paul to think, well, I can sing these three songs because, you know, they, they had been doing it. And, and we look back on it now and say, well, this is, it, it seems it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, and it is incredible. I mean, nobody in this day and age would do something like that. But, but, but back then it was probably, oh yeah, no problem. My, you know, my voice is good. I can do it. Not to mention that um, when they were playing live, I mean, you mentioned the, the Houston concert, uh, they were playing live without monitors in a hall full of shrieking people. I, I can't even imagine, I mean, how, how they could do that without being able to hear themselves at all. And it could be one of the reasons that John uh, shredded his voice on that tour, you know? I mean, just, just to, to try and hear what you're doing, you've got to push it a bit. Hmm. They could only hear themselves in Atlanta. And uh, that's one of the things they always commented on if you listen to the the board tape from that right from the get-go right after they finished the first twist and shout they're like oh that was loud <laughs> like you know <laughs> i could hear me uh and then two days later right the john's voice is gone to the point where or three days later where that he didn't sing twist and shout in minneapolis the show uh the show uh started with she's a woman mm, yeah. interesting for me also you talk about his different voices he also wasn't afraid, or maybe he liked sounding somewhat fragile at times, leaving it kind of bare. I'm thinking of songs like For No One and She's Leaving Home, where if you just focus on his vocal, there's a, a fragility to it, you know? It's not, I don't mean it's cracking or anything, but it's just got that, do you know what I mean by that kind of slightly fragile sound to it? A great song to, uh, comes much later in his career, but uh, a song like I'm Carrying from London Town is a great example of that, Richard, where it's he's totally in control of his vocal, and it's a lovely song, 
but there is, you know, very much a vulnerable quality, a fragile quality to how he's singing. Mm. Yeah, it's as if he's not trying to bolster the vocal to make it sound more powerful and more solid. He's allowing it to just sit there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have the the balladeer Paul, um, and then you have the sweet Paul, which is, you know, I mean, you've the songs you mentioned, it's not that much unlike and I love her and that type of thing. I mean, he's Paul yeah. has more confidence and I think he he's he feels freer to put more emotion in his voice. Um, in that sense, um, but you know, you have the folk balladeer Paul, and then you have the sweet Paul, and 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 he he really knew how to use his voices f- for best effect, and and you know, we can get into this later on in the conversation, but but what I found really interesting about Paul is is he could do rock songs and he could sing heavy rock songs with a sweet voice, which is almost unheard of. I mean, you would think that like so nobody would have the um, the capacity to do that or the restraint and but Paul could do it Wednesday morning at five o'clock as the day begins silently closing her bedroom door leaving the note that she hoped would say more she goes downstairs to the kitchen clutching a handkerchief quietly turning the back door key stepping outside she is free she we gave her most of our lives is leaving sacrificed most of our lives we gave her everything money could buy she's leaving home after living alone for so many years another great vocal for me is fixing a hole which is such a solid vocal, and it, it, he sounds so confident in himself. I'm trying to think if that's almost so smooth, I wouldn't have noticed. I wouldn't have thought of that one. Uh, I, I see what you're saying, but and definitely the confidence is there. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, was it John said that, strangely, the one thing that Paul's insecure about was his bass playing, yeah. but not as a vocalist. I'm fixing a hole where the rain gets in and stops my mind from wandering where it will go I'm filling the cracks that ran through the door and kept my mind from If I'm wrong, I'm right Where I belong, I'm right Where I belong See the people standing there Who disagree and never win And wonder why they don't get in my door What are the songs that are impossible for other people to have done? Not just within the Beatles, but I think anywhere We all think that uh, Oh Darling is a great McCartney vocal But I remember John would always say Ah, uh, the fool should have had me sing it. It's much more my style. Uh, when I think of a song that nobody can do, 
that properly, I, the first thing that pops to mind is Helter Skelter. It's like, who the hell can cover that? Nobody. Yeah, me too. What about why don't we do it in the road? I think that could be done. But I mean, I, I just can't see anyone touch Helter Skelter. I mean, it's just too difficult. But the, the way he switches from, you know, the full-on rock voice to the falsetto, and he does it melodiously, right? He's not just hitting falsetto. Yeah, oh, that's true. I, the falsetto part I kind of forget about yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, John couldn't have done Oh Darling. It's just, it's it, the range is just isn't there. And, and I mean, I think John's hearing that and thinking, okay, it, it's a throwback to uh, to 50s uh, rock and rolls, you know, 6-8 time signature. Yeah. It's got the slap echo on it. This is my thing. You know, this is this is what I really, really love. And so, but when it gets to the when you told me, uh, you know, that's, that's up there and that would John wouldn't have been able to do it. I mean, you think about the fact that he was lacking the confidence to, to sing the high parts at the end of Happiness is a Warm Gun and needed a lot of coaxing to do that. So I just don't think that he would have had the, the, the ability or the confidence to pull off a song like Oh Darling. In a different key, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. When I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide. When I stop and I turn and I go for a ride. Till I get to the bottom and I see you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you, don't you want me to love you? I'm coming down fast, but I'm miles above you. a great uh, falsetto voice and he knew how to really really use it and it was it was a strong falsetto voice he just didn't use it necessarily as a sort of like the way brian wilson did um he he tended to to, to put a lot of character and he had a lot of strength in his falsetto voice as well like why don't we do it in the road i mean the last he goes into falsetto voice uh, but he actually adds a rasp to it for that last verse and getting back earlier, Richard, when you're talking about pitchiness, I mean, there's some serious pitchiness to Paul's voice on why don't we do it mm-hmm. in the road. And, um, you know, but it adds to the character of the song. I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I, I miss that era where things were, where the imperfections were part of the beauty of the song. And, and, and Paul's pitchiness is like, okay, it's great. You know, I'm not going to mess with it because it's got character and it's got attitude. I'll take that anytime over over perfection. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, he obviously heard it. He's got the ear to hear that. Um, and he was comfortable with leaving it that way. And that that was the brilliance of right. the Beatles, right? You know, their quality control was just perfect. Oh, yeah. 1968, 69, 
You know, I've always said Paul was on fire. I mean, as a composer, he was on fire, but vocally as well. I mean, we get the full range on White Album and Abbey Road. Yeah, his greatest his greatest performance to oh, me, absolutely. like I say, Helter Skelter is just when nobody else can do it but you. That's that to me is perfection. And and you know, how many people have tried? I wonder, and never released it. I mean, I know uh, Bono gave it a go, but that yeah. was that doesn't count. <laughs> Yeah, to me, anyway. I would have liked to have heard Kurt Cobain do Helter Skelter. I know he was a big Lennon fan and a big Beatles yeah. fan, but um, it, it would have been an interesting one. But, I mean, you know, what about the command that Paul shows on songs like even Lady Madonna, which Ringo likened to him doing Elvis? I, I'm not sure I've ever quite heard it as Paul doing Elvis, per se, but a fantastic vocal. It's interesting you may bring that one up because that's what I I have that listed as number three and I call it Paul's deep voice and he developed that one later on. He kind of develops it. He does it in back in the USSR a bit. He does it in Why Don't We Do It in the Road, Lady Madonna. It's it's a fuller, deeper voice that, that didn't show up until about that era. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's like he doesn't really sound like Paul and it's pretty amazing. And on the same sessions, he pulls off I Will, which is, once again, to me, somebody just in complete command of what he's doing. The, the way he sang that then is not how he would have done it even two years before, I don't think. Not to mention the a cappella bass line. <laughs> not to right? mention. Right. <laughs> That's true. Who knows how long I've loved you You know I love you still Then we have also on Abbey Road, Golden Slumbers, where he goes from the sweet voice to the kind of oh darling voice. I, I always called that his opera voice there. He always looked to a golden slum, you know, it just seems to be looking for someplace new to go. I don't remember him singing like that anywhere else. We get a bit of that in the Let It Be film, don't we, when he goes into his kind of semi-operatic rendition of Besame Mucho. Oh, yes, which is fabulous. <laughs> That's, oh, yeah, that, right. that is a fabulous version of that. 
you know, with things like that, Besame Mucho and the, and the voice that he took on that, um, I, I sort of heard the voice more as a kind of commentary than a kind of vocal style in a way. Um, it, it sort of was okay, you know, you wonder what did the Beatles think of stuff like Besame Mucho that was in their repertory and that they you know, used at auditions and that kind of thing. And and it seems almost as if what he does with it in Let It Be is his answer. They, they saw it as kind of a goof. Little one, hold me so closely. Over the course of the Beatles' career, how do you hear his voice evolving? You know, I'm not sure I hear it so much as an evolution as, uh, you know, once you have them at EMI starting to record. I mean, he adds more voices, he adds more variety, uh, you know, more kinds of voices. Um, But you have the feeling that he's already a pretty powerful singer from the start. Um, and I, I, I can't say that, you know, suddenly his range gets better or, uh, you know, or, or greater. Uh, I think it's more a question of just being able to bring in these, uh, these, these voice characterizations. You know, it's almost as if he's um, discovered at some point during the Beatles recording career that singing is also or can be also an acting job you know and that the character he's projecting in lady madonna is a different character than he's projecting in you know anything else rocky raccoon well rocky raccoon is is a great example of that country and western thing he's starting to develop with i've just seen a face and that's where it comes full flower to me but it's an acting part, as Alan said as well, isn't it? Because he's parodying. He's almost yeah. putting on like, for a British guy, yeah. it's almost like a cowboy accent he's adopting. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you you visualize him sitting in front of the microphone with a cowboy hat and an acoustic guitar singing that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yet, uh, why don't we do it in the road? You visualize something completely else. I think I think he began to sort of inhabit these vocals as. Uh, you know, as if there was also a visual component of of a kind of character doing a particular kind of song, and and he would just slip into each one as he needed it. I mean, I guess that's his development in the Beatles is the the ability to just switch from one kind of character to another and have it reflected completely in his voice. It's just baked into Paul. I mean, Paul is you know, like I said, it's it's that. It's that show tunes, vaudeville, show must go on thing. And it's like, if we get back to like, like Uncle Albert, I mean, listen, listen to the character voices in that and listen to how many times he switches just in that one song. It's, it's, it's crazy. And um, it's just, I think it's who Paul, Paul sees himself as. I mean, he's like, I want to be, you know, I want to be a, the, the great songwriter. I want to be, it's just baked into who Paul is. He wanted to be Gershwin, and I know. I mean, he suddenly t- turns into Rudy Valley, doesn't he, on um, Honey Pie? I was just thinking mm-hmm. of Honey Pie. Yeah, yeah it was like jazz, or or it's just a throwback, as he called it at one interview. That fruity kind of music that I also enjoy. Now somewhere in the black mining hills of Dakota, there lived a young boy named Rocky Raccoon. And one day, his woman ran off with another guy. Hit young Rocky in the eye Rocky didn't like that He said, I'm gonna get that boy So one day he walked into town Booked himself a room in the local saloon Rocky Raccoon Jack the Scud So won't you please come home, come, come back to me, honey pie.
Having grown up listening to these voices, the Beatles' voices and, and Paul's voice, I think there's always a level of taking it for granted. But when I sort of sit back and, and reappraise it and listen, it is one of the finest rock voices I've heard. Um, I mean, obviously, it's apples and oranges comparing to other singers. But I just think, you know, on its own merits, it's a fantastic voice. Mm -hmm. The Beatles had two of the greatest rock singers and two of the greatest singers in the 20th century. And, and, and you listen to the early George stuff, and George is, I mean, he, he, in any other band, he would be able to hold his own. Yeah. I mean, his pitch was am amazing, and he had, he had early confidence, and he, had, he was able to add that third-part harmony and, and just do it spot on all the time. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing. I mean, Paul's voice is really unbelievable. So now, as we go post-Beatles, I mean, for me, it just continues, his voice. <laughs> While I may have issues with some of the songwriting, the, the actual vocal performances, for me, they just continue in the same vein. Do you think he gets better or it just stays at the same level? He stays at the same level he was, like, around... For, from the White Album on, when he started to experiment with, um, with character voices. And the other thing, too, is... is Probably about the time from Sgt. Pepper's on, they they weren't afraid to to like leave the open mic on, so any little asides or any little ad libs or um, things that normally nowadays people would you know in Pro Tools they would just edit out. Um, I love the fact that that he keeps those in there, and and post Beatles he even did that more. I, I think there's more there's more use of character, Paul. And um, and also more use of just being being free to put his personality and and besides the stuff I mean like like the beginning of too many people I mean most people would listen to that and go wow that's just like what an interesting way to start that album because he's it's almost like he's can't sing and then he just starts singing. And uh, it, it's really fascinating with that sort of slap delay and, and what, what he starts to sing on that song. Um, he's just not, a, he's not afraid to put it out there. And it's, as post Beatles, it really, really shows that he's just like, he's just got the confidence and he, he knows he's Paul and he knows he can do it. Too many people I would agree that I see a continuation. I don't see deterioration really in Paul's voice for a very long time. I see him starting to limit some of the character stuff. Monkbury Moon Delight, terrific vocal. And that's a sort of character in a way that he's playing there. So I sat in the attic.
you get these fantastic vocals like Maybe I'm Amazed, Monkbury Moon Delight. On London Town, I remember when I first heard I've Had Enough. I thought, oh, you know, great rock song. But when I began to listen to it more, I thought this is almost him sort of consciously deciding, okay, I'm going to give an outing to my rock voice here. He sounds to me like he's posing a bit. Yeah, he does. It doesn't feel like it's a full-blooded performance to me. There's something holding him back. That is a lack of confidence in the material, I'm sure. I don't know about that, about a lack of confidence, because I mean, he always records so much that if he had any doubts about that track, he could have used something else. Um, but, you know, that and Spin It On, I thought, were both, um, you know, him using his rock voice a, a bit differently than he had during the Beatles, but also with a lot of energy and pretty effectively. I, I, I guess I agree that he did sort of begin to limit the character voices a bit um, after a while. I mean, there's plenty of them on Ram. Um, uh, on Wildlife, they get to be sort of silly character voices, you know? I mean, the <laughs> aminals in the zoo. I mean, give me a break. Um, <clears throat> and... <laughs> I don't know what to make bip-bop. Also, you think about the fact that it's, you know, when we compare earlier Beatles or late Beatles to, to this era of Paul, it's like you have to ask yourself, what did he have to prove? And, um, you know, you you hear the story about Helter Skelter, and he heard, you know, Townsend making some kind of comment that they recorded the, the, most, the most rock, dirtiest rock song ever, and so he came back with Helter Skelter. By London Town, you know, I don't know exactly who he was listening to, and and I've had enough. It's it's a really not a rock song. I mean, it's got heavy rock guitars, but the the beat and everything. And he's singing when he comes in. He's singing very sweet, and in, it's not until he gets to the chorus when he starts saying "I've had enough" is where he starts actually adding some rasp to his voice. So he's actually underplaying that rock song. Like I was saying earlier, like when you listen to Get Back, for example, it is amazing to me that Paul can, I mean, later on in the song, he sings it very, um, he, he, when he starts to doing the ad-libs, he gets into a very, very rock voice. But listen to the voice when he's singing Get Back, Get Back, or, or um, the first verse or the second verse. He's really, really restrained in singing it. I mean, how many people can do a rock song and play it live on a rooftop and do it in front of people and be able to be that restrained and not want to sing it like um, Oh Darling or another rock song? It's, it's pretty incredible that he can do it and pull it off and make it work on top of that song and own the song.
Now, in terms of the degradation of his voice, for me, I start noticing it around the time of Run, Devil, Run, which I think is a fantastic album. Uh, and I remember, you know, if you watch the show of him performing that at the Cavern in 1999, which you were at, Alan, mm -hmm. remarkable performance. But the thing is, he's belting every number. And you get to a point in the show where you just hear the voice start to fray. And watching it now, you know, in hindsight, I, I can't help but sort of feel, my God, he's hammering it and hammering it here. And this is where it's beginning to fray. That's his primal scream period, Richard. I, that's all to me to do with Linda's death. Well, Lonesome Town certainly is. No, I mean, um, the whole record to me is him screaming. Yeah. He's, he's trying to go back to his childhood, you know, his teenage years. You know, the stories about how he would play the records that he wanted to cover for Run Devil Run and he's writing down the lyrics the way he did when John was around so now John is gone now Linda's gone the guy's lost and he's trying to th therapy for him to as he said you know to keep him from going around the bend was to write songs and perform uh, that to me is a very uh, emotional and tra tragic and triumphant at the same time listen to listen to mm -hmm. uh, um, you know Run Devil Run which I think is a marvelous late period record as you uh, as you think as well it, it's you know just but that's what i'm hearing i i don't think that's degradation as much as he's just torturing himself because he feels horrible and a certain a certain opportunist manages to pop in right around that time right but my, my point was that that level of just belting one number after another is going to take a toll and that leads to exactly why, you know, we were talking about in later years where Paul's voice, I mean, there, there could be potential damage to Paul's voice. I mean, you can't sing Helter Skelter for 35 years or whatever it was and, and not have some kind of damage. I mean, it's, that's, that's where we start to get into this world of, like, has he damaged his voice or not, and, and how did he do it? Which brings us to an interview that I did recently for this show with Seth Riggs and his wife Margareta, both singers and voice coaches. I mean, Seth's career goes back decades. He's worked with anyone from Prince, Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, to Ray Charles, Madonna, uh, Bette Midler, Barbara Streisand. And so I spoke with them to ask them what they think has happened with Paul's voice. Because, you know, we have all these theories out there that, oh, it's just his age, or it's smoking a ton of weed, or he's had a stroke. I mean, you know, all these different theories. I thought, let's go to an expert and see what they think. Most people have some kind of rough concept of what a voice coach does, but can you explain, um, I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know, pro singers and that some you know major stars do have regular coaching and can you explain why well first of all uh technique teachers and uh, are loosely called vocal coaches 
but they're not really. They might pick repertoire for you, but they don't teach you how to do it. But a voice teacher teaches you how to, with your voice, accomplish a much larger range and a range where you don't kill yourself. The technical aspect is really how do you sing through your whole range at the best of your ability, both musically and technically. Creating that longevity, you want to be able to go on for all your life. And that's an ongoing process, isn't it? It's not yes, it is. Yes. You don't want to change a person's style that has made them what they've accomplished. All you want to do is make sure that it's to make that it's easier for them to assume it. Right. And is it an ongoing process because people kind of drift off the, you well, know, very the as, as they get older, uh, they, be, they forget what they were doing, perhaps even naturally. And so we, we try to refresh that and revive that so they can continue. And there's no reason. I mean, I just turned 90 and I'm still doing it. And uh, <laughs> I'm not a star, but not like some of the people that I've taught. But there were people like Ray Charles and... Uh, Luther Vandross and Natalie Cole and all those people that uh, needed to remember or to try to figure out just because we're getting older didn't mean that we're going to give up but at least they didn't want to. Also it's your body that is your yeah. instrument and just like a basketball player just because they are the superstar of, of basket they don't stop Right. training right they train right. even more maybe mm. we have a couple of superstars we work with three times a week which we have done for a very long time and others who work now and then but they never stop working right. on it so to say and that's true for opera too they they yes. keep up their voices as they get older too Absolutely. it really doesn't have to do with age at any age you have to keep it up that's right you can't just it's like uh, you want to get in shape. You don't just get in shape and then you stop keeping yourself in shape. Now, does the voice atrophy with age? Is that a natural sort of aging process? If you make a mistake in the manner in which you're producing it, you know, then that it could be the beginning of the end. Yeah. A lot of people will sing when they shouldn't be singing or let's say when they're ill with some particular problem physical problem and the first thing you know they're finished they're washed up at age 40. The other things that can happen when you're older you might have other physical yeah. issues that might happen if you use your voice the mm. right way that is that should not and you're and you're otherwise healthy. So in terms of Paul McCartney first of all just in terms of the instrument that he was blessed with how would you appraise that when he was at his peak well, he, he did some amazing things with his voice and really was absolutely splendid. Um, they say that it's a little bit different now and that he has got to look for something differently. But if he can be exposed to that, he can sort of pick up right where he left off. It's from a vocal standpoint.
do you hear when you listen to that? Well, first of all, I heard those early recordings that he made uh, in, in a natural manner was really quite superb. And yeah. then later on, the older he got, the voice began to have problems. But he can, he can resurrect that. There's no doubt about it. Really, because, you know, there have been so many theories about it that people say, well, he smoked so much, that may have damaged the voice. Well, it's <laughs> true. It's true. We recommend things to people that I don't think that they're going to do. Mm. They've got to stop smoking, they've got to stop drinking, and they've got to stop drugs. Yeah. And we let them know right away that this is a, something they've got to do. They're like an athlete, you know? And so then they, we give them these particular exercises, which are really kind of strange, but they work like a charm. Listening to his voice, I mean, can you be sure that it can be brought back or you would have to know what caused the damage in the first place? Well, we can always hear what causes the damage when we hear the later recordings. Maybe I'm amazed the way you love me all the time. Now he sings not as vertical as we would prefer and if you do this a lot over time he sings maybe i'm amazed at the way way and this is the male bridge the g is the top note of the male bridge now if you do not mix in the bridge and the male the female bridge is up here first one if you don't mix through there but you pull up your chest or you stay in your chest voice as in love came straight out of your, straight out of your mouth you need to go a little narrower love so maybe i'm amazed at the way you love me all the time that's love a lot different love. No, it's not that now if you do this many times over a, an hour and a half two hour concert it can wreck you and then you do it over years what is it physiologically doing? What is that actually doing? Well, as you go up the scale, the vocal cords shorten, just like uh, the strings on a, on, on a piano. It comes out of chest and goes into head voice. But right. it's got to be a mix. Otherwise, you get what you got at puberty. You get that yeah. cracking. Yes. And when you start to do that and you give it to an older voice, then they go, they get, go, they go three and a half octaves because it, yeah. it never stops. I want you to listen to the word way and the word love. Baby, I'm amazed the way you love me all the time. And maybe I'm afraid of the way I love you. And instead of saying way, love, you say W-E-Y and L-U-V. Way, love, it goes vertical. It goes behind your soft, soft palate, palate and up into the instead mix. of from your throat straight out of your mouth. What happens when you pull up your chest, which you do when you go wide, and he still manages, but it is a, it's, your larynx is coming up. Eventually it goes so far to the swallowing function. And this yes. is what causes nodules. Now he manages to go through this a lot, but it's not as easy as it can be, should be. or should be. Mm -hmm. yes. So. If you start to get tired or hoarse, then the problem gets bigger and you work a little harder to get this together. And, and over time, after having done it a lot, it's going to be harder and harder to go through here. 
in the more recent versions of that, where, where his voice has atrophied, do you hear him still, do you hear him compensating in any way, or is he just doing the same thing? Well, he thing? changes his keys, you know, yeah, he tries well, he not to approach that, some That's of true. them. Like yeah. yelling. He sings yeah. Sure. sure. Yeah. yeah. Is it such a difference? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It comes straight out of the mouth. And, and he should sing yeah rather than yeah. It hurts your throat. If you do it, it you're going to feel it. I notice when you're singing it that way, you're putting some vibrato in there. Yeah. Well, the, the vibrato disappears. Because everything that you swallow with, when your throat comes up, you go to a swallowing condition. But as Margaret was saying, when you go vertically, you don't. It just goes up and the vowels stay pure. So what we're hearing is nodules on the chords? No, no, we're not saying that. Singing like that. Eventually could produce nodules. Y yes. Singing like that is not a healthy way of singing. So you start to create an imbalance you're you're not balanced between your chest voice and your head voice and it, it can start with one little thing that this thing creates um, maybe i'm amazed at the way you love maybe i'm amazed at the way you love way yeah. love way love it hurts you know you, you go one song you go go 20 songs 30 songs with little imbalances or pull-ups like that it's gonna start to get your voice n not so in tune right. or in uh, in ba balance is really a good word now you're gonna start to compensate maybe you start to <gasps> support from maybe your throat and down or not the right way rather than from way down in your belly and up because you can hear that it isn't it's it's a little shaky it doesn't sound very solid like a um uh, a support that is done correctly sounds and and it can be sort of like a little domino effect because now you're starting to feel uncomfort you know uncomfortable so you start to compensate and then you compensate and the problem becomes bigger and bigger rather than sort of taking a step back and fixing the obvious things that need fixing which which is you know Balancing again, singing and, through and the as bridges. soon as you can, you, you've got to get to it. You know, and for instance, there's a thing called uh, speech, uh, the therapeutic thing. The muscles under here, if you put your fingers under here and you begin to go... Under your chin. And there's no pull down. Yeah. Because it, it isn't done with the swine muscles, which are the wrong ones to use. Right. Just as she was saying. But in a song like, the, like, let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. Now, you spell let, let it be with an I almost, because you don't want to say, let, let it be, let it be. Go. Yeah. They pull up, they put up their heads and look straight up and go, bah! and it, the worse, the, the wider you go, the worse it gets. You spell it with an EE. Let it be, 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 let it be. You can, 
mean, you can feel it. It hurts, Seth can't right? take it. And, yeah. and I'm not saying that he sings it like that, but even a little bit towards having it come out of your mouth. It won't get any better, that's um, for sure. It's a, a, you see, it a, needs a, to a be decline, a constant decline. Yeah. Yes, because I, I think I've heard the degradation in his voice over the course of roughly about 20 years, I would say. You yeah. can hear it when he speaks as well. You would think that um, if there were something on his chords that he would yeah. uh, get help for that. Uh, but if you don't support, if you don't support, your speaking voice is going to also sound, yeah. it's like a car that, it, you know, you have to have fuel that runs the whole time. And it has to be fuel. It can't be like water in it. You have to actually have it flow the whole time. And so our voices needs the air, the air to flow the whole time. For otherwise, it, <laughs> it's it's yeah. It's but they they can't tour anymore. You start doing one nighters and you get no rest. Yes. And like the Broadway people are singing. For, they sing t twice on uh, once on Friday, twice on Saturday, maybe on Sunday, and they're dark on Monday night because they're trying to nurse themselves back to some for some form of vocal rest where they can abuse again if they have to, you know. Which if they have the knowledge, they will do that. And at La Las Vegas, so you, now, you do two yeah. a night, two shows what they call uh, tab versions. Oh, yeah. It may not be with all the dialogue, but certainly in most of the music that's well known. So now this question, I know it's a bit, as we say in England, it's like asking how long is a piece of string. But if this has been going on for a couple of decades, given his age, if he were to come to you, how far do you think you could bring the voice back? We can bring it back completely. They will really? not have, because we've got... Our job is not to keep a person coming, coming, coming. They can, they can call up and check and say, I'm having trouble with this. But they've got to be able to commit this for themselves so they know what to do. And they can start out with the keys, perhaps a little bit lower, and then they move up as they get a, a better control of the bridging. I, I do want to say it is fairly quick because just that little change we would say, if, we, if, if he was standing right in front of us and he sang the song and we would have the lyrics like this, we would say, okay, maybe I'm amazed, not amazed, but amazed at the way, W-E-Y, mm -hmm. you love, L-U-V, me all, not all, but all. Now here is where, where British English comes in very handy. You have a better, you would, American English would be ah, people go ah. But it's yes. actually all. You have to sing all. all. The time, not time, but time. Mm -hmm. Now, this is instant. Now, it can be habits. That is, you know, people start an error a little bit, but they need an error even more. But it really is within, within the session that you should be able to feel the difference. Now, of course, the recovery of the voice if it's if it's a little grovelly and whatever, uh, but it comes with doing it the right way. I used to have a Welsh conductor, and he would summon us. He'd say, "Off we go," <laughs> you know, and you say, oh, 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 oh. "And we so we'll say, don't say ah, oh, ah, oh, but oh, 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 and that brings that as she was just saying, 
Yeah. It pulls it, it gives you a vertical, and we know it, it saves your voice. But now, his, if, his, if his speaking voice now is so husky, would this bring that back? Yeah, it, it will absolutely eliminate it. Really? Every, yeah. you, you take away what causes the problem, and, yeah. and you start to recover. Wow. And it's you see, ju as... just to cut the nodule off is not good enough. They mm. made, if you had a hard nodule, a soft one you can, you can vocalize off. But if you have a hard one, it may be cut. But the ENTs that cut it don't know what to do, so it does not start again. What was the lady that... Well, we... it's, it's, it, the, the thing is, if you have nodules, uh, hard nodules, or a polyp, for instance, which you actually can get in one single time using your voice in a bad, even just by screaming, if you're really unlucky, and a polyp needs to be taken off because it cannot come back into the cord. Uh, nodules, if they're soft, they can come back in. But here's the thing. The doctor can take off the nodule, but then you have to change your habit because if you keep having the same habit, you'll get, it's like having a map. Like I said the other day, if you have a map and you wanna go from LA to Chicago, but you keep going on highway one, you're gonna end up in San Francisco every time. <laughs> it's, it's the wrong yeah. road. You can't say, yeah. well, I used to do it this way. Yes, and where did you end up? You're gonna end up in the same place again. Yeah. You've got to change yeah. your techniques. So. What you what you do, you get it gets an excellent thing because your voice sounds like it's in trouble. Once the nodules are they gonna go back and the cord comes right back together. Oh. And that's where they make the mistake. This wonderful girl. What's the name of the English girl that we like so much? So Adele is, goes very wide and pulls up her chest voice very high. And that's not what Paul McCartney has been doing. But we're now talking about decades yes. of, of singing. And we're also not talking about him not being able to be up here uh, around his uh, bridge and above it. But it's shaky there. It's not so solid. It doesn't sound as it used to. You go back to puberty. Right. <laughs> you know? We work yeah. with, uh, we actually, we, we, the other day we worked with somebody for the first time. Uh, actually, since Seth worked with her in the 1960s. Wow. And she hasn't been in touch since. But she called the other day and she had had some surgery. She's now 92. Yeah. And she could not get past the male first bridge. Her, her, she didn't know what was wrong. She had been to all doctors and she had done all, she was doing all kinds of things. But she wasn't supporting and her larynx came up. When the larynx comes up, so all the way to where you swallow, it cuts off the air. And so that's what happened. And she went, um, if she was singing gee, 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 then she's a gee, 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 gee. She didn't come, you know, she, yeah. and then I said, no, no, no. And we, we tricked her into different ways of keeping the larynx not coming up. So you can do it gee, 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 by lowering it, just counteracting the fact that hers came up so high. And after it was a half hour lesson and she was going, that was within a half hour. Wow. 
And it was two things. Supporting below your navel. It's like a... Um, and keep the large down. It's, 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 it's just so simple. It's simple logic, simple science. If you have a toothpaste tube, if this is your toothpaste tube, and the toothpaste is coming out at the upper end, yeah. you squeeze it at the bottom, and it comes out at the top. Yeah. You don't yeah. try to squeeze it right there where it's coming out. It's, right. it's just gonna go back down again. You're basically strangling your own voice. Yeah. Right. You must be listening all the time, you, or you see people on TV and you hear them singing, and some of them you must be kind of thinking, oh my God. Oh yeah, really? but you see, for instance, uh, when Ray Charles first came in, uh, and I said, what do, you think what do you think your problem is, Mr. Charles? He says, I lost my falsetto. I said, I don't, I don't hear you, because, you know, he always uses some falsetto when he sings. That's yeah. exactly opposite from what Margaret and myself do. And I said, uh, I said, I'll tell you what, why don't you do Georgia for me? So he, I, I, I take him by the hand, sit him down the piano, and he starts playing. Georgia! I said, wait a minute, where is the, that's where he usually gets the phone, but he said, well, that's what I mean, I lost it. I said, wait a minute, well, how do you pronounce that? Georgia. The accent is on the first syllable. Georgia, then you flip. He said, oh, let me do that again. Georgia, oh, there it is. I said, take it up half step, Mr. Char. Georgia, oh, I see. He said, well, I'll be. He said, it's, uh, it's still there, isn't it? I said, yes, it is, but you ain't going to get it going, Georgia. So just, right. just little silly things like that mean so much. It yeah. didn't change his style. I wasn't trying to, to connect it because that's not Ray Charles. It's, it's the vowels yes. that's so important. Yeah, the, yeah, and the, the purity of it. And the support. It's super yes. important that you breathe Right, it's yeah. it's probably the most common thing Dysfunction that singers that most people don't have. do right. People who are super musical, all of a sudden, may not be quiet on pitch. You okay. know, a person that uses a lot of high notes was Michael Jackson. When yeah. I toured with him, he filled Wembley three times in less than a month. Yeah. But I vocalized him 12 to 1, 4 to 4.30, and about 15 minutes before he went on. But it was always having him do this. Sometimes that he would forget to do it, you know, I'd say, hey, 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 that is too much. You could use that and go, you know, and sometimes he goes, and you go into false center, but don't try to use your mix because you're not gonna make it. And he never lost his voice in the six months I was with him. Yeah, so basically, if Paul's listening, he should come pay you a visit. Yeah. 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 It, it's, Especially uh, with this one. It would one. be so exciting <laughs> because there is no doubt, no doubt that we can help him. Paul, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> the Polo Lounge at the Beverly Hills Hotel is mainly where I've actually perform for Paul McCartney. He used to call and see if I was there. Then he would come in and play the drums and sing backups and oh, really? talk about songs he liked that I, you know, he wanted me to learn. And he used to always ask me to play. The very thought of you, and I forget to do the little ordinary things that everyone ought to do. Paul McCartney 
knew every single song by every artist. Yeah. We could go on for hours and singing, singing just about, he just loved it. Yes. He would sing backups to ABBA songs. I mean, he would just go <laughs> on and on. Don't look at me, it's way too soon to see what's gonna be. Don't look at me. agree that voice lessons does help you to sing properly and warming up does a lot for your voice. I'm a little wary about what voice lessons does to somebody and and how they perceive it. It's like Paul obviously had a raw talent that um, that he could do and and by Warming up your voice is one thing. I mean, going going backstage and 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 hitting the the notes properly, and and doing that so that you, when you get out there, you're not doing any damage to your voice is fine. But but singing notes and singing a phrase differently, um, I don't know. It's like Paul is the most successful musician in history. He's got probably one of the greatest rock voices of all time. It's like I to to 
critique, you know, him at this late stage of the game. Paul is Paul. I mean, the the Beatles had no musical training, and that's what made them sound so unique. I mean, if Ringo hadn't have been a left-handed drummer on a right-handed kit, he would have sounded totally different. And it's the same with Paul's acoustic playing. I mean, he plays acoustic guitar like no one else. He taught himself. You know, it's my point is really that formal training is all well and good, but it might have not made Paul sound like Paul, which is his voice is raw and amazing and and it's rock rock and pop perfection. Yeah, but the mind-blowing part of that interview for me was that they say that they can bring it back. And I have to tell you, I also spoke with another voice coach after doing that interview and had her listen to the interview and she completely agreed that, you know, what they are saying mm-hmm. is absolutely true, but that he would have to, even though they were saying that it would start to come back pretty quickly, but this um, other voice coach said to me that he'd have to work really hard on it for, say, six months and give up, you know, no smoking, no drinking, working out and doing vocal exercises every day. And that it's all about the technique. The technique is so important that a lot of rock singers don't really place enough emphasis on that. Yeah, but you know, Richard, you can hear the damage in Paul's voice when he's talking. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the same thing that happens when he's singing. So it's there. And, and you know, in all these theories about, you know, it's it's just what happens. I mean, you listen to Robert Plant, listen to Elton John. I mean, listen to a lot of people who had much higher voices and much bigger ranges, and now they're singing songs in a completely different key, or they're just completely changing the melody because they just can't get up there anymore and, and do that. And and Paul didn't do that. I mean, he's still belting out Helter Skelter, you know, at 70. And um, there are going to be repercussions for that. It's interesting, isn't it, though, that he's made that choice, that he's going to sing them in the original key for obvious reasons. They're going to sound best in that key. Right. But he's doing it at the expense of his own voice. What's he saving it for? You know, I mean, at this point, who does he have to prove anything to? Exactly. Why would this old dog have any inspiration to learn some new tricks? Yeah, I think that's ultimate, ultimately my point. And, you know, and, and you go to a Paul McCartney concert, and it's an event. I mean, you don't really go to hear Paul sing, per se. I mean, we all know Paul. Paul's voice is, you know, he can't hit the notes like he used to, and there is damage, and, and he's got a completely different type of voice. But like I said, so does Robert Plant, and so does Elton John. And, uh, you know, you, you like he, when you go to see uh, Brian, in the, you know, and, and you go to see uh, him sing Good Vibrations, and, you know, and when it gets to the high note, you, three people step in and from the background to help him, and, and he just kind of backs off. You yeah. know, you go there to celebrate the man and his accomplishments and, and, and to be in the same room with a legend. Um, and I, I, I don't know. It's like I, 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 could, I could be rough on Paul's voice, but I just think that it's just like it, it is the lineage or the... the the, the logical line of progression of being almost 80 years old and spending your entire life singing rock and roll and, and trying to keep it in the same key and, and, and recreating that, that happening, that moment uh, that I was talking about, the event of actually being at a McCartney concert. Alan, as the co-author of an upcoming book with Adrian Sinclair on Paul, 1969-1974, uh, the first volume, what's your take on it? 
Uh, you know, well, back then he wasn't having um, these problems. So uh, my take on it, I mean, I, I agree with what Craig says. It's an event and you go there and you, uh, you accept a lot in a non-critical way that you might not if it was a different a different kind of event a different time you know if he was 40 or even 50 uh and he was beginning to sound the way he is now you would look at it i think maybe a bit more critically than when he's 80 you're thinking just just the fact that he's out there doing a three-hour show um that involves a lot of energy and uh, it's always him singing. It's, it's not like he can step back and have George sing. If I needed someone, give him a few minutes break. Um, and uh, you know, you, you, you realize that he, you know, if, if you are to the degree that you are critical about it, when you're listening, you think, well, you know, he's, he is overdoing it and maybe he, should see a vocal coach or something like that. Mm. Um, you know, when I when Ringo went out in 1989, I interviewed him and uh, we talked about the fact that when George went out in 74, before the tour even began, he his voice was shot. Mm-hmm. Um, because with George and Ringo, these were guys who, even at the height of the Beatles, sang one song a night, you know? Um, you know, plus in George's case, his backing vocals. But, uh, you know, they didn't have a lot of stage time and, and suddenly it was their show and they had to sing the whole thing. Um, George didn't sort of take that into account. And by the time he went on the tour, his voice was shot. Ringo knew that that's what happened with George. And so before he set out to do his 1989 tour, he got a vocal coach who would show him, you know, just how to preserve it a bit. Think about the irony of that, though. (laughs) Ringo is the one who uses the vocal coach to take care of his voice. Yeah, but also we have to remember that Ringo had a very limited range compared to to George. And and also Ringo has no problem with uh, dropping the keys dramatically as the years go on. Yeah. What's my name? Not to mention that he sings only like two or three songs in a row and then takes a break and lets, you know, the the, the format of the show is that everybody is singing. Uh, So so he gets to step back. But were you surprised like me, though, to hear Seth and Margareta say that they could bring Paul's voice back? I mean, I was kind of blown away. I was shocked by that completely, Richard. I I tend to agree with Craig's assessment, though, because the idea that... um, his speaking voice is a bit like this now, you know, and he's speaking to Sean. And I, is there anything left there to work with? Well, that, that's what I pressed them on, right? I actually mentioned the speaking voice, and they did listen to the speaking voice. And they said even then, if he does the right thing over time, it would come back. And that's when I sort of thought, wow, really? And I, I asked this other vocal coach, and she said exactly the same thing. If he thought it was worth doing, and like, said before you know it would require some disciplines that aren't there and i'd hate to use the old dog new trick thing but but really it's the motivation his he gets all that love he's certainly not going out on the road for the money i think he goes out because he thoroughly enjoys it um he loves getting ready and giving a show and i think most of all you know None of us is ever going to know what it is to stand in front of sixty thousand people and have them scream their head off and want to come 
and are, are there only really to see you. And that must be very powerful stuff. And now take that and put it out over basically 40 years since he's gone back on the road. Um, I, I can't imagine to suddenly say, okay, I have to put in all of this work and I'll sound better. Or I can just not, you know, I can just go out and enjoy my life and enjoy doing the shows as I always have. And yeah, my voice is different. We cover it with good mixing and backing vocals. And, and you know, that I think that's the thing. Like, why would he... If he's putting out records with this voice, right? Uh, he's conscious. He's accepted it apparently, and I think when he puts out fifty different versions of Egypt Station, and that's how you get to have a number one record, whatever a number one record really means anymore—ten thousand copies or whatever it is—that's um, enough for him. I think that's. I, I just don't think he would do it. I, I mean, I, I have to say, I find it difficult to listen to an album like Kisses on the Bottom, where. You know, it's delicate vocals and the fragility is on full display. And yeah, that takes real balls for him to do that, I have to say. You know, he's put himself out there and he's presenting himself at this age. And and that's, you know, fair enough. Personally, though, I'll, I'd much prefer to hear him do something like, um, was it Cut Me Some Slack? Which most is shredding what's left of his voice, but man he could still belt it for me it was like another a latter day hell to skelter i have a different theory i think that you know what he could get away with and he may not think he could get away with it or want to get away with it and and there may be parts of large parts of his audience that scratch their head and say what's going on but it seems to me that with his voice in the shape that it's in now he could morph into Muddy Waters or Howlin' Wolf, you know? I mean, he could yeah. he could just say, okay, I am now like an old bluesman and do, you know, yesterday, baby. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know just, just use his voice as it is, but it would mean reconstituting all of his arrangements, all of it, and his whole approach and just get comfortable with that. It would be like a different guy in a way, but, it, but I think, there'd be enough of Paul still in there that it, it would, uh, that it, it could conceivably work. Well, here's another idea. Could it be possible, would Paul do a more, say, just sit down with an acoustic guitar and a small accompaniment um, and do a sort of almost unplugged, but uh, songs like Tell a Story and then sing San Ferry Ann. I think he could still do San Ferry Ann. He's overlooked some of those very gently type songs that he would toss in on these records over the years and and do something that his that is suited to his the voice uh, you know without going you know kind of bluesy or or you know reinventing the 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 format that he uses but just well of course that is a reinvention of the format what i mean is as a character as a singer you know at, at what he sings the material he sings he could still do his own stuff i just think he'd have to stop the shouting Imagine him doing a duets album with Bob Dylan. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, well, What's left with Bob at least he would be able point. to understand what one person's singing. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, is about about Paul changing up like that, like you were saying about Paul sort of going to the old bluesman type of thing just for to, to try it. I mean, Paul is very smart as far as he knows exactly what his audience, audience wants. And, I mean, Paul's one of Paul's greatest strengths is his melodies and um and he he doesn't you know, i mean he does ad lib 
but he knows that like maybe I'm amazed is like one of the greatest melodies and 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 Hey Jude and all these songs and you, you know you can't you can't mess with them too much and you can't really that's why the whole thing about like doing it with 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 voice lessons and 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 like when in that interview Richard when they were demonstrating how to sing a certain way like like taking one yeah. of Paul's phrases and singing it a different way well yeah great but that's not Paul and and that's yeah. not what people expect of Paul and um that's just not who he is i mean he's the most successful musician in history i don't think anybody really ultimately has the the right to tell him what to do and what not to do and like so, albums like kisses on the bottom um I, it's just a bucket list thing for him it's just something he he loves those songs and it was a bucket list mm. thing and maybe he knew it wasn't necessarily gonna like uh you know uh be any earth-shattering uh, moments but um it worked for him and and he's uh at this stage of the game, he can do anything he wants to do. Agreed with you on that point, Craig, but did you ever, to your last point, that he doesn't have to listen to anyone, one of the most interesting things to me about Paul is I, I can think of a very specific example where he did listen to somebody late in his career who sat him down and pretty much gave him a lecture, and, we, it, and you can hear it. Have you ever listened to the Joe Smith raw tapes, uh, Joe Smith being that former DJ who became one of the most powerful people as a record executive ever, just died recently at age 91. He was, towards the end of his career, before he retired, he put out a book about the history, his, his idea of the history of you know, modern music in America uh-huh. and the world. And he uh, sat Paul down in the Paul interview. It's really precious because I, don't, I can't think of anybody Paul would listen to the way he did this man because everyone respected him. Right. And he, he starts lecturing Paul about uh, doing his new material at concerts. He goes, uh, Paul, I'm telling you now, you know, you watch the crowd. They're getting up and they're getting a drink when you're doing, you know, coming up. <laughs> they don't want to hear it. Yeah. They want to hear their hits. You understand? <laughs> He's like really lecturing him. It's it's very fun. You should go find it. Well, if you believe me, that's one thing I know from personal experience. What you know, the hits? Yeah, just doing the hits. Um, yeah. And, and, and what 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 people get up and go to the merch booth or go to the bathroom or go get a snack with. Um, I, I've I've seen it for the last uh, close to twenty years on from from the stage. So I yeah I totally totally agree. I think I think Paul took that advice. Uh, I, you know, for the most part, I think he does keep the new stuff to to a minimum, and uh, I mean to stroke his own ego. I have a question for the group, is because uh, I have a specific song in mind to answer my own question. But for you guys, what was the last great recorded vocal uh, on on a McCartney record? Does anyone pop out in mind like, okay, this is really great, and it's on this album, and then from there on, not so much. Lonesome Town on Run Devil Run. I think it's just a brilliant vocal. It's not just because he's belting, but it, as you say, there was feeling behind it, and you can hear the feeling. It's got real soul to that vocal. There's a place where lovers go to cry their troubles away, and they call. You can buy a dream or two 
Something is telling me that, 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 you know, most of the things on Flowers uh, are vocally very strong. I mean, but even Beyond Flowers, I mean, Off the Ground has some... Uh, it'd be hard for me to pick a specific track. Uh, well, we can give you a minute and ask Craig. Yeah, do that. <laughs> well, unfortunately, mine's only going to take five seconds because I think Flowers is probably the last album that I've... Uh, listen to of McCartney's in its entirety. I mean, I have sort of like skimmed through these song through these albums that that people say, oh, you know, this is Paul's, you know, one of Paul's greatest. And and to me, it's like, yeah, you know, it it, it it's good. But I mean, I still have. Um, I'll, I'll still put on McCartney or um, or Band on the Run or whatever. Um, so I don't really have a point of reference for this. I have then, I'm sure then, the most unique take on this of us today. Uh, I am totally knocked out by the Electric Arguments album. And I the, the mm. song that I'm thinking of is Sing the Changes. For Paul at that stage of his career to make this 
really wacky record with Youth, who's my age, by the way. Youth, if you're listening, it's time to change that name to Melderly or Middle Age. <laughs> anyway, I think that achievement, I would say if people haven't listened to the Electric Arguments Fireman album, it's really something special. Um, it, and it's surprisingly so. It's it's not like any other McCartney album. It's not like the other Fireman album to me. It's really uh, an achievement by a guy really in the closing overs. Uh, to, have, to have had him pull that off, I think it's a, just a great piece of art all the way through, um, from the packaging to the performances to the decisions made. Uh, just amazing to me. And that to me is... You know, I, I didn't care for a lot of this stuff in the 80s. Uh, you know, did I agree with everybody about Flowers as a marvelous record, and I do listen to that a lot. And, of course, Run Devil Run's fantastic as well. But, uh, but 10 years went by from Run Devil Run, I think, to, to uh, Electric Arguments. I, I believe that was 2008 when that came out. So uh, that's pretty spectacular stuff. But after there, hmm, not so much. <laughs>
Okay, Alan, you've had more than enough time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what? <laughs> some very some imp of the perverse has occupied my mind and wants me to say something where I really, really seriously dislike the song, but I think he pulls it off vocally. I'm on the edge of my seat now. What could it be? Freedom. Oh, no. Wow. <laughs> I was going to say that as a joke. <laughs> I don't know why that popped into my mind. Is, is like, and I can't get it out he now. He does which sing is that one well. of the problems with some of his things. This is my right. A right given by God. To live a free life. To live in freedom. Talking about freedom I'm talking about freedom I will fight for the right To live in freedom Anyone tries to take it away Will have to 
Duly noted, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, now now Richard's going to go around saying, Alan says his favourite McCartney recording of recent <laughs> Yes, let's start that rumour. I don't need to. This show will tell the world. I'm, I'm going to send that to the Daily Mail as a press release right now. <laughs> <laughs> One other aspect I, I'd like to cover before we close the show is feel okay you know as a vocalist the natural feel that paul has and and the choices that he often has made and you know earlier craig you mentioned hey jude yeah the outro to hey jude all the different pauls at the end there okay all the different little characters all the different inflections all those little bits that he does at the end and they all work oh yeah and i'm sure he didn't punch those all in separately no, I'm assuming it was all done on a live take, and uh, and to me that is the epitome of Paul's ad libs. Uh, the end of Hey Jude, I still marvel at it when I hear it. It's it's just oh. it's it's stunning. I know, and we wait because we know them all by heart, and we wait for each one. Right, you know, they, they every one of them takes the song into a different sort of vein. And that's the great thing about like when you have a song that's what is it seven minutes and some what seven minutes and 20 something seconds long or whatever it is um huh. and you know most of those ad libs um by heart you can sing along with those and you don't turn the song off that that says a lot about the quality of those ad libs and and the quality of the song but i mean we're talking about three chords here and you know george tried to do the same thing at the end of something and it got edited edited out but um but uh, this, like Paul's ad libs, are just, just. I mean, nobody can do that. He's, he's basically doing, he's doing. I'm down at the end of a ballad. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Remember to let her under your skin.
Paul, if your people are listening, because I certainly know if people are trolling Plastic EP, then they must be trolling us too. You know, maybe that's the one thing left that you haven't done is to to be your own resurrection vocally. So maybe you ought to call these guys. What do you got to lose? You know, in terms of feel, if you if you talk about feel, then you have a completely different discussion. Because if it's feel, the quality of his voice doesn't necessarily matter, you know? I mean, we listen to Dylan and Rod Stewart all these years. They don't have beautiful voices as such, but they could create a feel that worked for all the songs they were doing. And having now spoken up for freedom inadvertently, <laughs> um, I can top that. <laughs> Rupert and the Frog Song? This is on the bottom. Because his voice is frayed, but the first time I heard, for probably the first 10 times I heard that album, I really disliked it and couldn't understand how someone who is known for the beauty of his voice could put out an album with his voice in that condition, especially with music that really benefits from a polished voice. Um, and yet, eventually, on replaying it, there was something about the feel of each of those performances that I thought worked beyond the quality of his voice. That, you know, these are, you could, you could tell these are tracks that he felt strongly about and wanted to put over and his voice is what it was at the time and he somehow managed to get around it i mean it 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 does take it did take me a number of listenings to come to that feeling what if it rained we didn't care She said that someday soon the sun was gonna shine And she was right This love of mine My valentine As days and nights Would pass me by I tell myself that I was waiting for a sign Then she appeared A love so fine My valentine And I will love her For life And I will Never let a day go by Without remembering the reasons why She makes me certain that I can fly And so I do without a care I know that someday soon the sun is gonna shine And she'll be there This love of mine My valentine
what if it rained? We didn't care. She said that someday soon the sun was gonna shine, and she was right. This love of mine, my Valentine. So we've been sitting here talking about Paul's voice for all this time now. I'd just be curious to know um, if we're not talking about Paul now, if we're talking about the entirety of Paul and his talent, would you guys, could you think of any style of music or anything that Paul probably couldn't pull off or couldn't do? He'd, he'd most likely even be able to rap, wouldn't he? Word, I'm ta- I, I said music. Ouch. Wow. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> sorry, sorry. In the popular vein, no. I mean, as I said, I'm sure he, I don't think he'd pull it off as an opera singer, but that that's not his thing. I mean, but in the popular vein, nothing springs to mind that I'd say, obviously, Paul, that he'd be out of his depth with that. No. Um, Only perhaps... That sort of temporary scare in young music of you know, 10, 15 years ago, growling. Maybe he couldn't do, you know, Bring Me the Horizon cover album or something. But um, that, that'd be the one I could think of that kids listen to that he probably couldn't do. Just true growling. Right. I don't think there's, um, except for maybe that, uh, anything he hasn't tried, you know, and managed to pull off. You know, the, the, the full range. I mean, the, we've got R&B. We've got reggae. Maybe reggae, he's a little less, less convincing. Um, but he gives it a good shot. Uh, the balladeer, the uh, show tunes thing. I mean, it's he's, he's tried it all and been convincing in all of it. So, um, as you say, opera obviously wouldn't be a, a kind of thing for him. I couldn't see him do a a, a recital of Schubert Leader, but uh, anything in pop music, I think he could do if he wanted to. I think he would be silly sounding in rap. I mean, actually doing rap because we've we've heard him do a little bit of it in interviews as a joke, and and it it I don't think it would work too well. But as Craig said, I, I, I kind of agree with that. Yeah, I, I, one thing where, I mean, and this was just a sort of musical choice, I'm not saying he wouldn't be capable necessarily, but when he, like on the BBC sessions, they do That's All Right Mama, and it's straight rockabilly. It doesn't have the sort of sexual innuendo in the voice that Elvis had when he did those, you know, the Sun sessions. Um it lacks that. The same with Long Tall Sally. Little Richard's version, it's laced in sexuality. Paul's is just straight on rock. But I'm not saying he wouldn't be capable. I just haven't heard that. Yeah. Oh, well, just to answer my own question here for a second. I, I think probably, I mean, Paul can really, he he really can pretty much pull off it and everything he's done. Um this uh, it's it's like I think the one thing is the 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 thing that we always compared. Uh, John and Paul too is is 
the lack of R&B soulfulness. Paul tends to be more of a balladeer, and, and, and he, he's got the right vocal moves and the, and the right ad-libs to do it. But, I mean, when we think about, like, okay, so we go back to Love Me Do and think about how much better it would have been John singing. I, I think about, like, I step way forward to, you know, like his collaboration with Stevie Wonder. What's that you're doing? Yeah, now, if you listen to those two together, I mean, it's like, like, Stevie is, I mean... Stevie is really in his element, and, and, and I think pro- probably you've got two of the greatest voices in history together there. And, um, yeah. and Stevie really sounds much, much more in that vein, and Paul sounds like a little bit more like he's kind of going through the motions, and he doesn't really, he doesn't really have the soulfulness. He's got McCartney soulfulness, but but true Stevie Wonder soulfulness in that type of thing, I think it really shows in that particular song. That that's why that song always kind of bugged me a little bit. It's just it's it's a little too diverse in the voices. Think about Stevie Wonder as being the probably the best person to cover a Beatles song and reinvent it, and make it his own. Uh, when he took uh, McCartney's "We Can Work It Out" and basically reinvents it. Maybe that was on his mind. I mean, in other words, just to have the mindset to take that song and make it into what Stevie did is maybe intimidating to the composer or intimidating to a guy that really admires Stevie's voice as well as his decision-making as a musician, as a composer. I, I, maybe Paul was just a little... He always sounds tentative in those those uh, Stevie Wonder songs, you know, whether it's Ebony and Ivory as well. I right. Think it's just something seems a bit off. Yeah, I agree I know with it was you. A I totally million agree seller, but I, I think there's, once again, a little bit of intimidation. This is Stevie frickin' Wonder, and look what he did when yeah. he could work it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because it is. It's like he's deferring to him. It's like, this is your patch, Stevie. You know, go for it. But, I mean, do you think that also Craig speaks to his personality that he hasn't got that aspect to his character, that kind of depth of soulfulness and that's what's showing vocally, even when you, you juxtapose him with Lennon. Yeah, I think so. Um, Paul, you know, we've, you know, Richard, you and I have had a lot of conversations about this in the past. Like, like, but Paul would tend to write in third person to sort of like, mm. to sort of pass the, pass the buck on where, where John, I mean, Paul could never do um, the Plastic Ono band. I mean, he could never be that, um, that right. honest with himself. And it, it's, it's more, to, to it, it's more of putting on a character or a facade to do that, but having said that, I mean Paul sure does still do it, but but it's it's a matter of degrees. I mean I think John just really just had it baked into him. Where Paul was wanted to be, you know, he wanted to be one of the great songwriters of the 20th century. You know, John was just like listening to you know like all the Motown stuff, and I know they both were, but but John really really absorbed it and felt it in his soul. Paul has also said, I think, when he was interviewed by Bob Costas back in 1991 on, on TV, that he didn't have the edge that John had because from his perspective, he also didn't suffer as much pain in his own childhood. Yeah, he lost his mum, but it didn't compare to the childhood that John had, and he felt that that gave John that edge. I think that's partially true. And you, know, and you also have to remember, the, you know, not only the pain, but, but just think of the family. The, you know, like Paul had his dad, and, and so he had that vaudevillian show 
music thing in him already. John, John, not so much. I mean, Paul, Paul grew up with yeah. that, and so it's a, really yeah. a part of his early DNA with his dad and 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 having a piano in the house and you know singing those songs. I think John also the reason he seems more soulful in his choice when it came to R and B is his choice of R&B. One thing that really fascinated me about Lennon is he had no fear in taking a woman's song and singing it, um, you know, uh, whether it was the Cookies or Anne Margaret. And also when he chose a male, uh, you know, defaulted to people uh, like Arthur Alexander, whose whole career was about the put-upon man, the man done wrong, the vulnerable man mm-hmm. uh, who's been dominated by a woman. And I find that utterly fascinating because for some reason he latched on to that he believed in it and i think he you know strong women were always in his life and uh, i i think that he could believe it in other words paul is much more easily a guy that falls into characters and hides his true self behind his characters whereas i think lennon found okay i can do these songs but i believe in the message too i I can really identify so i can put a little more of myself into it my emotion into it well that brings us back to what craig was saying about paul couldn't do plastic ono band no no i don't believe he could um or, or something like it could he do something what's the closest paul could do to that album it's a good question John's thing was always being so honest and putting it all out there and paul's always been rehearsed polished and reserved in many ways and you know holds it back well paul paul's putting it out there is here today and songs like yes. that i mean that's his way of putting it out there paul's is more of a romantic emotional putting it out there and john's was more of an angry um i've got this pent up hostility i've got to get it out type of so so it's a very very different honest way of looking at their music well, and Paul's way of putting it out there is also the way he's singing and putting out albums now and and performing on stage with the voice in the state it is, right? It's, it's him basically saying, here it is, take it or leave it. I'm not dressing it up. But isn't that just addressing his addiction to... The, the love he gets on stage, which is palpable. I mean, you know, who... Yeah, who but it doesn't address no? him putting it out on a record, which is going to be part of his recorded legacy. It means, you know, as Craig was saying, he basically doesn't care. That's his honesty.
The Beatles, Naked. Post-production by Richard Buskin. Theme music by Craig Bartok. Bye.